Welcome to... Hey, great shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast brought to you by Cracked Rackets. My name's Alex Gruskin. Joining me on this podcast, as always, my doubles partner, partner in the crime, and the man who's about to go on spring break, Max Rothman. Hey, great shot. You know, it's a... Uh... It's a wonderful time of the year. Everyone's flocking to Miami, Cancun, <laughs> some people to Europe. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm off to Miami tomorrow, so I'm definitely getting ready. Well, unfortunately, our listeners don't get the opportunity to see you, but you are definitely in Miami shape. You oh, look very good. <laughs> a little flattery never hurts anyone. <laughs> but Max and I are really excited today because we have our second interview, and in my opinion, our most interesting guest yet. Absolutely. We have the founder of the blog and podcast, Parenting Aces. She is a tennis parent and someone very deeply involved in the tennis community, Lisa stone hey great shot hey thanks for having me oh of course it was our pleasure i was so happy you responded to my message well i was flattered that you reached out so there you go (laughs) oh absolutely well you know lisa as some of the few tennis podcasters in the business we wanted to start today's conversation by kind of talking about our backgrounds and what got us into tennis why we're interested in the sport and you know why we want to communicate that with other fans of tennis so if you could start by telling us a little bit about your background my background well i grew up playing junior tennis in shreveport louisiana and i was not very good but i loved it and I think I was in it more for honestly the cute outfits and the cute boys than the (laughs) competition of it which sounds terrible but um you know hey I'm just being truthful there you go and I so I played juniors um my freshman year of high school I played high school tennis and actually one of my teammates at my high school was Pat Harrison, Ryan Harrison's dad. Oh, wow. And wow. So I grew up with Pat and his twin sister, Patty, and their older siblings, and used to travel to the junior tournaments with their family quite a bit. Um, you still so stay in touch with them at all? Yes, I do. That's um, awesome. We have stayed in touch, and in fact, I used to have like this series of photographs of my kid with Ryan and like the very first one I think my son was 10 and I think we had like a photograph every year for about four or five years it was so cute and that was like my little my little growth chart you know (laughs) that's unbelievable (laughs) oh was there any chance he was your prom date you and Pat Harrison (laughs) no he was not my prom date and let me just say for those of you who know him now as a grown man he was a scrawny little kid for a long time. Like, he was always, like, the nicest boy. He was so well-mannered, and he was very kind of quiet because he wasn't a big guy. And I don't know what happened to him after he graduated high school. He, like, just grew up into this giant man. And <laughs> when, I, when I first saw him again in our adult life, I was like, I had to do a double take. It was at the U.S. Open, actually. It was was when I saw him again and like I hear Lisa across you know the tennis center and I'm looking around because I don't see anybody I recognize and then I realize it's Pat so that was pretty funny but so after my freshman year of high school I did not play tennis again until after my last child was born and started preschool and I live in Atlanta now and um, I don't know if your listeners may or may not may or may not know this, but 
in Atlanta, we have this uh, league called ALTA. It's the Atlanta Lawn Tennis Association. It's actually the largest tennis league in the country. Oh, wow. Bigger than USTA, bigger than any of the other leagues out there. Bigger than USTA? Yes, the league. The league okay. side. Oh, I see. Gotcha. Um, so it is, it, I mean, people that are, like, in the, you know, tennis industry that, have, you know, are my age-ish, um, they all know about Alta. Anywhere I go in the country, they hear I'm from Atlanta. They're like, oh, do you play Alta? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So gotcha. here in Atlanta, it's one of those things when you move and, and you, like, move into a new neighborhood, your neighbors will all come over to find out which level Alta you play. Like, <laughs> they, they, like, start recruiting you immediately. And oh, I like um, it. so I, that's how I got back into tennis. I started playing Alta and um, – you know, just have continued to play Alta and USTA League and Flex Leagues and all this other stuff. So I'm, I'm usually on two or three different teams at a time, depending on the time of year. And I started races my son's freshman year of high school. So uh, we are in year seven, which is crazy. That's, He's a junior in college now. So That's yeah. amazing. And, yeah. And so, so obviously, you know, you have a very – storied background with tennis and it's obviously still a huge part of your life and so obviously you have your blog and um from what i understand it it focuses on junior tennis it was there something that you know kind of drove you towards that topic something in your your son's junior career or or something that kind of brought you towards that topic yeah definitely i my son was at a stage with his tennis where he was kind of at a crossroads and was starting to really make some significant jumps in terms of his development and his rankings and the types of tournaments he was playing and all of that. And I was at a total loss as to how to help him reach the goals he had set for himself. And his coach wasn't all that knowledgeable about how the process worked and wasn't very good at guiding us in terms of choosing tournaments how many tournaments to play and you know how to how to get from a to b um and i stumbled upon a group on facebook actually of former junior tennis champions that's the name of the group i think it's it's former u.s junior tennis champions or something like that and I started posting my questions in this group. You know, my kid wants to do this. What should we be doing? You know, are you, he's got this goal. How do I help him get there? And I started gathering all this information from these, you know, experts. And one of them said to me, if you have these questions, don't you think there are other tennis parents out there that have the same questions? You ought to put all of this on a website and help everybody get through this process together and so that was the beginning of parenting aces and a few months in i connected with another group of tennis people who were part of a a radio network but it was an online radio network and they were doing you know everybody had a different format for their show a different um topic for their show but they didn't have anybody from the parent side. So they asked me if I would be interested in hosting a show for parents. That's amazing. And so um, that's how I started with the podcast. And, you know, my very first guest was Dr. Alan Fox. So that was 
really scary. (laughs) 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 I knew all about him. Yeah, of course. And I was terrified to interview him. And I I go back and listen now, and it's kind of mortifying. um, (laughs) I've had to learn to be quiet when I interview, and I'm not real good at being quiet. Neither are we, don't worry. Right, so... It's, it's funny, now the the kind of platform that I use to record my interviews shows me percentages of how much I talked and how much my guests talked. Wow. And so my goal is to not get above 20%. That's my goal. <laughs> we and definitely could use that. Yeah, Max and I do something <laughs> I mean, like that. It's really helpful, you oh. know? But... Um, but, I mean, honestly, this has opened so many incredible doors, not just for me, but as my son was coming up. I mean, he had experiences and opportunities that a lot of juniors don't get to have. And sure. so it's it's been a really fun ride. Yeah, absolutely. And, and look, I can say definitely from, from my experience going through the, the college recruiting process, my mom absolutely had no idea what was going on. Right. And it's brutal. It is. Brutal. It's it's a tough process to navigate on your own. And, you know, fortunately, I had a coach who, who was knowledgeable. But um, seriously, I, I think so many people can benefit from what you're doing, especially when they don't have that coaching experience. Um, so definitely just kudos to you and, and the blog. I think it's super helpful for a lot of families and, and tennis players out there. Well, thank you. Thank you. So now I get to flip the, the, the mic, right? And ask you guys how you got started. Sure. Please ask away. Uh. How did you get started in tennis? <laughs> Tell me your history. After you, Max. Sure. So You always serve first. <laughs> I, I do serve first on, as, yeah, uh, as the Devils team. I like that. Um, well, at least in my tennis career, I, I grew up in Southern California, um, and I grew up around a lot of these top, top players. Um, my coach, Blake Russ, had guys like Ray Sarmiento coming to our practices who played for USC, and um, Marcos Giron came by at times, and so, I mean, I... Yep. Oh, yeah. Um, Dennis McCurchian, also another UCLA guy. And Wrong so, shade of blue. <laughs> yeah, go blue. Um, but yeah, so I, I grew up around a lot of really talented players being in Southern California. Um, back in my really young days, I played against Ernesto. Um, definitely didn't go well, but that's, that's another story. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I navigated the whole collegiate... Um, tennis process and uh, was looking at some smaller D3 schools, looking at Colgate and Middlebury, Tufts, um, those kind of schools, but ultimately decided that, you know, Michigan was where I wanted to go and uh, couldn't have asked for a better experience coming onto the club team. I I really didn't know what to expect, but uh, club sports really exceeded my expectations for the quality of tennis and also just meeting Alex and and being able to bring home a national title was (laughs) was something I'll, I'll definitely never forget. I'm so glad you said that because I have really become a convert to D3 and to club tennis for college players. I think there's so many opportunities in college that people don't even give consideration, which is a shame. And the fact that you said that winning the national championship at the club level is so meaningful to you, that's huge. And, and, I forget who said it to me, but somebody said to me, a national championship is a national championship. 100%. It doesn't matter, you know, D1, D2, D3, NAIA, JUCO, club tennis. It's a national championship. If you could That's see the smile on my life. face. this uh, I'm smiling from ear to ear. I love hearing that. We, we but, got... 
it's true, right? Oh, 100%. We've we've got the trophy actually <laughs> sitting right across from us right now. So we're we're both uh definitely agreeing with you and and smiling as as big as we possibly can. But yeah, I mean, seriously the the club level in in college is so much stronger than I think people realize. It's a lot of players like me and Alex who could have played D3 tennis and or or even low D1 and said, you know what, we want to, you know, go to a bigger school and, and kind of explore the opportunities. And so, you know, I, I tell people if, you know, college tennis isn't something that you're certain about, uh, it might be worth looking into a larger university where you can still play at the club level because it, it really is worthwhile. And so what are you studying? <laughs> uh, I'm an economics major and a business minor. There's the parenting ace. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, I am a mom. I have to ask. <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah, and I'll uh, I'll be moving back to Los Angeles, working in commercial real estate when I'm when I'm done with school. That's fantastic. You have a job already? I do, I do. Oh well, see, I'm in LA a lot. My kids, two of my kids live in Los Angeles, so we might have maybe to meet we'll up. Run into each other. Absolutely. We can meet for an acai bowl or something. <laughs> oh, what a <laughs> classic LA meal! <laughs> I mean. <laughs> I could have said sushi, right? Yeah, either or. way cooler. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm with you. Um, but I'll let Alex talk a little bit about his background, and then we'll we'll get in real quick about you know how we started this whole podcast. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. I have to say, the amount of name drops in your story, you have Ray Sarmiento, Marcos Hero, <laughs> Ernesto, just the first name, because people don't know it's Ernesto Escobedo. That was hilarious. Hey, we're on a first name basis. Uh, yeah. When you beat someone six zero, you get only the first name. <laughs> <laughs> but in terms of my background in tennis, uh, tennis has done a lot for me. in In terms of my life, you know, I was a chubbier kid, and it's just how it was. But I still played a lot of tennis, and my older brother made the varsity team of our high school, and so as a freshman. And so for me, it was, you know, I have to obtain that goal. Like he did it. It would be unacceptable if I don't. And so I made the team my freshman year, but I really didn't play. And in Michigan, there's four singles and four doubles and you don't play both. So it's 12 kids playing and I didn't make the starting lineup at state. So that was really a motivating moment for me. And I I used tennis that summer, played way more than I should have looking back on it, but used it to get in shape. And, you know, after that, I had a lot more success with my high school team shout out to them you know two individual titles three team titles have to give them love because they're some of our (laughs) thank you i i like to think we had a nice run we uh i'm sorry you have to hear this again max but in michigan you can get 40 points at states because if everyone wins their flight it's five points and we got 39 which tied the record so shout out to our super producer max fliegner who was the one singles player on that team And, awesome. Yeah, and then, you know, through that avenue, I've met some of my best friends just because of how long I was playing tennis, uh, you know, whether it's Max, who we'll get to later, but another kid who played club with us, Kaushik Kandapi, who I grew up as my hitting partner, and he's a few years younger than me, but when he was making his college decision, he knew, you know, I should play club tennis because I was able to talk to him and explain how great my experience school-wise and club tennis-wise, just being able to navigate both of those paths was the perfect commitment for me and you know 
I'm not the most naturally athletic kid. I like to think I work hard and thus am able to, you know, get by. But in terms of upside, you know, professional career was never anything I thought about. I was no higher than a two-star on tennis recruiting. And so, yeah, D3 schools were options, but in my family's a Michigan family. Both my parents went there. My brother went here. Uh, so once I got into Michigan, the choice became pretty clear. Um, and yeah, as I'm sorry, sorry to keep going. I'm, I'm, I'm getting my time. No, I was getting ready to ask you, what are you majoring in? Oh, so I actually graduated last year. I majored in history and poli sci. Um, I'm, I was a poli sci major. Oh, I love it. We're, we're talkers. So, <laughs> yeah. <you know. laughs> exactly. But in terms of my job, one of the rules of our podcast, because I have a job in government, is I'm not allowed to say who I work for. It's just one thing we agreed on. Yep. But So we'll cut this. But- Um, oh, cool. And so, but yeah, so going back, so, um, so yeah, I, I, I have a government job and I enjoy it very much. I have time to do this still. It's very fun. Um, and yeah, going back though to club tennis, uh, you know, I had a kid who I played one doubles with as a sophomore, Kyle Zhu, who was on the club tennis team and actually the one singles from my freshman year of high school as well, Arko Joshi was on the club team. So for me, club tennis, I was very aware of it. And I think that's something I'm fortunate to have. And, you know, for kids like Max and I who are really into tennis, they should be aware of how great a program club tennis is because the commitment's not too great for us. We practice twice a week from 10 p.m. to midnight, which, you know. What? Yeah, yeah. as college kids, we're on Pacific Coast time. It just it works out. Okay, whatever. <laughs> yeah, it's unfortunately the only miserable. court time. I know. It's the only yeah. court time we can get. Yeah, that, that's a grievance for another day. Yeah. <laughs> That's like hockey, you know, those 2 a.m. hockey practices or whatever. I mean, being in the northern state, it's just hard to find court time in the winter. So we're really at the subject of the school, but don't want to criticize them because we're fans of the university. Uh, And yeah, and so, you know, I was fortunate enough to make the Nationals team for club tennis and got to play with Max Rothman, who my loving co-host on this show. And. It was the tennis first is what brought us together because we made sweet magic. <laughs> and, you know, from there, it just blossomed. Yeah. Well, and so, I'm um, glad y'all found each other. <laughs> Thank you. We are too. Love at first serve. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, as far as the podcast goes, we basically one day said – we have after months of nagging i will add yeah it, it took alex a little bit of time to convince me that this was worthwhile um but yeah we we basically decided we have kind of this you know weird amount of tennis knowledge that is kind of <laughs> going unused uh, except for arguments on the court with each other uh, and i don't know us being us we figured why not just put this out there and see if people enjoy listening to us babble for you know 30 minutes and uh we threw a couple episodes up on soundcloud and got some good traction and then got in touch with the uh cracked rackets guys and uh they liked what we had and pretty much from there it was uh sealed signed sealed and delivered yeah and in terms of our goal the our thing is sharing our joy of tennis you know we joked about this earlier but i like to think the friendship max and i have a lot of that isn't based on tennis we also like each other but just the fact that it's able to bring us together and you know it's such an enjoyable topic to discuss it's so easy to play with your friends you know all you need is two rackets a couple balls and an open court and so it's just because it's so accessible and in my opinion so unintentionally funny we kind of wanted to share that message with the rest of the tennis community and uh 
I guess the last thing I'll say before we, we move on to, to talking about some tennis is uh, just the the lack of kind of, I don't know, casual banter on, on tennis topics. You know, there's a lot of very clear uh, discussion on technique and matches and, you know, replaying and recapping what has gone on in tournaments. And, and we definitely do that, but we like to think that uh, we add a little bit more casual of a casual spin to it. Yeah, the notice of the drop shots, the cracked rackets, the on-the-run <laughs> shenanigans, uh, the line judge blow-ups, things like that that are hilarious to us tennis fans. Yeah. Uh, y'all do a fantastic job, and and I think the tennis world was missing what you bring, and I, so I'm very grateful that you guys uh, were able to talk each other into this or however that worked and, and get something going. Yeah, absolutely. And so we wanted to ask you because, as we've mentioned, we're big fans of the Parenting Aces blog and, you know, shameless plug here. But guys, go check out ParentingAces.com, you know, for all of your information. If you have, you know, a kid who plays tennis or if you're just a junior who wants to brush up on the rules and see what changes are coming, definitely go check out ParentingAces.com. We have to ask, I saw one of your posts recently about the ITF junior rule changes and the ITF transition tour. Run me through your thoughts, please, because it's a lot to process. It is a lot to process. And I have to just start by saying that uh, the article that I posted on the junior rule changes is something that Colette Lewis at Zoo Tennis had written. And and when I saw it, I emailed her and said, do you mind if I just repost this? Because it's so informative and I really don't want to have to rewrite it. And she graciously said yes. So, um... I'm going to give a shameless plug to Zoo Tennis. And oh, don't worry, saying, Alex. Alex does the same say, all the time. Every time we do an episode, I cite one of her old YouTube videos saying, this is where I saw him first. Oh, funny. <laughs> Very funny. Well, she has been an incredible mentor to me. So I, I owe a lot to Colette, and she's a very generous soul. So I will say if you ever have, not you guys because you've already met her, but your <laughs> listeners, if anybody, if you have an opportunity to meet her in person, um, make sure you go up and introduce yourself and say hi. And, Absolutely. and she's just, she's awesome. I will say after we won the Club Tennis National Championship, and I swear that's the last time we'll mention it, she blogged about us, and I was so proud. I was like, oh. See? See? She's a good person. She is a good soul. She focuses much more on that level of junior tennis than I do. My focus is much more on the kids that college tennis is really the pinnacle of their tennis career, right? They're, they're training and developing through juniors in order to play college, and when they're done playing in college, that will likely be the end of their formal competitive tennis career. You know, they may go on, obviously, hopefully to play leagues and still play opens and that kind of thing. But um, so Colette is much more well-versed in all of this stuff than I am. And I use her as a resource all the time because I can and because she's very sweet about letting me do that. But I just feel like... A lot of things that are going on in tennis right now, and I've had this conversation with some other people, to me, part of the problem is it seems that tennis is being run by business people instead of tennis people. And by that, I mean, not that that the business people don't have a tennis background, they do, but it's become 
so much more about the bottom line, it seems, than it had been historically. And I think a lot of the changes we continue to see in our sport are based on that. And it makes me really sad. I, I, I am not a fan of no ad scoring. I am not a fan of six game sets and doubles. I'm not a fan of starting singles matches at two all or playing to four. Um, that's not how tennis was designed. And I understand the need for, you know, competition on the, on the television front, but let's face it. I mean, most of your age group and the ones coming up behind you are watching very little TV and are consuming their sports on a tablet, a laptop, a phone. So the whole argument that keeps being put out there about, you know, we have to shorten tennis so that it's more TV friendly, I don't buy. Um, yeah. I'm not a fan of it. And I like a good old fashioned do sad, do sad, do sad, do sad, do sad, do sad game. Um, you know, where the tension is building, building, building. I don't like this, you know, three all and we play a point and okay, the game's over. Um, just not a fan. So that's my bias going into all of this. And I just want to be very clear about that. Um, this yeah. whole idea of the transition tour. Uh, at the professional level really concerns me for college tennis. And again, my focus on parenting aces isn't these, isn't the kids like Ernesto or Taylor Fritz who are bypassing college, you know, to turn pro. Mm -hmm. Um, However, (laughs) I do see just from being in this arena, a lot of kids making the decision to turn pro that, in my opinion, they would be better served going for at least one year to college and seeing what happens in that one year. And, you know, the, the age of professional players is just going up and up and up. I mean, my God, Roger Federer at 36. I mean, it's craziness. Right. And, you know, so... You're 22 when you graduate college. You still have lots of time to develop as a pro. And what's unclear with this new transition tour is what are they doing with college players? What what happens if you go to college and then want to pursue a pro career? How do you jump on the track? Which track do you jump on and how do you get there? And then how do you progress? And one of the things that Tim Russell, the head of the ITA, the Intercollegiate Tennis Association, told me is, you know, he's been asking that question. Mm -hmm. And the, the answer is, we don't have any answers yet. Right. And that's a little scary that this is going to be put into play. And for kids that are on the cusp of making that decision, do I go to college? Do I turn pro? The fear is they're going to decide to turn pro because there's no defined pathway if they go to college. Yeah. And that's a real shame. Yeah, no, I mean, I I think that's a totally legitimate fear. Um, It's something that Alex and I discuss a lot, especially with these next-gen guys, is most of them don't go to college. And, uh, you know, obviously Alex and I are, are huge proponents of college tennis, especially with the fact that you really develop a doubles game, which uh, obviously, you know, we're biased to, but we think has so many implications for the future of your singles tennis as well. I mean, it it 
establishes your ability to close the net and, and approach. And um, so we're definitely proponents of that. But uh, you know, it's hard to it's hard to say that we shouldn't let some of these young guys go right to the pros when. I mean, you look at Federer and Nadal and Djokovic and all of these, you know, top guys right now, and they all started when they were 16, 17, 18 years old. And, you know, clearly they've shown that it's allowed them to be successful. And so while I I do completely understand the the fear of not being able to, you know, go to college and then have a clear path, I think um, it's something that, you know, most players, I think, have a somewhat clear understanding of um, when they make that decision. And, and maybe I'm wrong and maybe I'm just making assumptions, but it, from, from the conversations that we've had, it seems that way. Well, I do want to read a couple of things from the ITF release about these rule changes because you brought up a lot of great points, Lisa, and there are a few I'd like to address if you don't mind. <laughs> uh, but so number one, they did a study that said 14,000 players compete each year in the professional tour. Only around 350 men and 250 women break even financially, and that's without coaching considerations. Uh, Of course, that doesn't factor in sponsorships and, you know, off-court deals you make, but those are things to, you know, discuss on another time. In terms of things they're doing for junior players, I actually very much like the incentives of being top 100 in the ITF juniors and you earn five guaranteed places into what they're calling ITF entry-level events. I think that's very interesting. But you mentioned the financials of the USTA and how it's more about the business than about the integrity of the sport. And I think we're at the point where that's something we really need to consider because if that's true, 14,000 players are playing and only 600 players are financially breaking even with prize money, that's unacceptable. That's just not going to allow the sport to flourish. And I think... You mentioned part two, you know, or part of the goals of the ITF is to have 750 ranked men and women and to narrow the pool, whereas now 3,000 players are ranked, but, you know, the bottom 2,000 have about one point. And so you talk about college tennis as being a path to the pro circuit. I think, you know, off camera, we talked about this college basketball scandal breaking now and how these pairs are being played for amateur athletics. A discussion we need to have is what do we want college athletics to be? And I think that's a discussion tennis will get caught up in because the successes of, you know, the Steve Johnsons, but then at a lower level, the Braden Schnurs, the Jared Hiltzicks, the Ty Kwiatkowski's guys who are still making their way through. You know, why do they go to college? Why not just jump directly to the pro circuit? Those are all guys that were in the ITF top 100. And if these players are going to have five guaranteed entry points like they're being promised, won't that help them make the transition that much easier? And so, you know, I'm not that negative about the rule changes. We can talk about the aesthetics later, but what do you think about those counterpoints? Well, I mean, I think you bring up interesting points, but I want to say that. The statistics show, and and if you read, and I know you guys have, if you read articles written by these players that are considered journeyman players, if you're not in the top 100, you are losing money on the tour. Period. The end. It is too expensive. They're, you know, they have to travel the world. They have to eat. They have to have a place to stay. They have to have a coach. They have to have a, a physio and. It, it costs so much money to be out there. So Definitely. college, college. if you are at the right program with the right coach, college is a way to let your body mature, let your game mature, let your mind mature, 
on somebody else's nickel, right? Yeah. To get yourself ready to go out there and spend that kind of money to get into the top hundred, hopefully, you know, but I mean, only a hundred people are in the top hundred. <laughs> so, right. you know, when you look at the number of people out there fighting their way through the futures and challengers, and I mean, my God, they're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars and, you know, they may get a $300 paycheck at the end of the week. Right, which is, you know, only so much for, for an entire season, potentially. So, if I may, I think the idea, though, is by narrowing the pool of players. And, you know, another discussion is, do we want them to narrow the amount of players with an opportunity? But I think the right. idea they're trying to have is, if you are in the top 750 because of the requirements they're making, they're trying to make it financially viable so where you will be making a living because you have to have X amount of ITF entry points and X amount of ATP points. And to even get to the top 750, you have to be, you know, coming close to breaking even. You know what I heard recently that I thought was a very interesting point? Um, And I don't know what country this person was from, but he was saying that... With these new rules, their country is going to go from having six professionally ranked players to one. Oh, wow. So if if the country has one professionally ranked player, where is the incentive for the country to invest in tennis? Wow. I mean, first I of all— I thought that was a really interesting that's point. That's an excellent idea. Yeah, it excellent is an excellent point. I, I guess the, the question is, of those six, how many of them— previously were actually making strides on the tour were they breaking even financially was it you know worthwhile for them to actually be pursuing that career and i hate to keep coming to the defense of the itf and the usta because i'm not always on their side and in many instances i'm not but i did read in the release that their idea is to lower the amount of fees necessary for tournaments to host events and to promote you know more regional event i think they said you don't have to host three tournaments in a year anymore you can host just one event or other requirements making it easier for you know remote it's countries. Still expensive. It's still really it's very true. Yeah. No, we hear you. So the incentive has to be there. And you know, one point that that I want to make is the president of the ITF is Dave Haggerty. Dave Haggerty is a past president of the USTA. It was very disappointing to me as a past USTA president that he did not take more care with the college side of this. Hmm. Yeah, I'm just going to put that out there. No, no absolutely. I, I mean, we are huge proponents of college tennis. So you're right. Do you want to lower the rate of play? Uh, you know, if you're not letting guys with pro aspirations go to college, the level of play will drop dramatically. And yeah. that's obviously not something we want to see. Yeah, it, it's an interesting idea. You know, I remember when I was, I think it was 2004. No, it had to be 2007 when the USTA switched from the list, standing list based system that was to based on who you beat to a point system. And as wacky as that was at first, and you could cheat it by playing a ton of tournaments, I think it's turned out pretty well. The point system works. Are you not a fan? Yeah, I, I am not a fan of the point system. I am a big fan of UTR. I think it is too easy for kids to game the point system by playing weaker tournaments where there's a weaker draw to earn ranking points by beating kids that really don't reflect that they're improving as players. And I think families get sucked into that whole idea of, 
traveling all across the country to play these weaker tournaments, and you even see it at the ITF level. I mean, I know kids who travel the world playing the weaker ITF tournaments just so they can say they have a higher ITF ranking, and for what? It's not making them a better player necessarily. Whereas with UTR, you get rewarded for beating players who are rated higher than you. And you get penalized for losing to players who are rated below you. And that, to me, is a true reflection of your development. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm on the same page as you. I've, I've always been a proponent of that, especially near me when I was growing up. You could play a million tournaments, and you could play one a weekend of these low-level fives and build up a ton of points. So I'm, I'm absolutely on the same page as you. You know, as Max can attest to, I'm very stubborn. Uh, for like six months, I've been planning to look up the UTR formula and just kind of figure out how they determine where you're ranked at first, you know, how they score or weight the level of the event Ask you're playing. Them. Email them. They'll tell it. They'll be straight up with you. He's just frustrated because my UTR ranking is oh higher God. than his. No, so they, he's they trying to figure out what happened. I thought they don't incorporate doubles, which is why I'm so salty. Doubles is essential. There's a there's a separate doubles rating. Ooh. Okay. Now I'm buying in. Yeah. So okay. I I agree. <laughs> I, I, all we needed I was one word from you. I, was, I even have a UTR. Oh, uh, it's definitely higher than mine. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I'm like a two. <laughs> <laughs> well, I definitely owe you a. It, it may be a second podcast to check up on our UTR and, you know, I'll do my research so I can. But I think you make a very fair point. There's absolutely something to be said about the quality of the tournament and another shameless plug. But for Cracked Rackets, we talked to the new Jackson Bridge Tennis Academy in California. And both of the head coaches there were very adamant that UTR tournaments, you know, helps them better select which tournaments to enter their players in and you know you get a better sense of what the field is going to look like and how beneficial the event will be but i also want to move on to another part of the rule changes you mentioned you don't like no ad and you'd like to keep the lats i'm gonna have to disagree with you you know max and i i I mean of course i'm playing devil's advocate a bit but you're like to your point about deuce points you're absolutely correct but Max and I played no ad for three years together, and there's something about the thrill of being up 1540, seeing that lead evaporate, and now it's a deuce point, and it decides it on. It's like, okay, we have to choose, focus. and we have to choose who I, we want to just, return. Let me just say that most of the college kids that I talk to are on, in your camp. They like it. And... I get that, and there are a lot of different reasons I've heard. One is it it just keeps matches shorter, and when you're in the throes of the season and your body's getting beaten up, you want to win quick. You want to get in, get out, because you know there's another match looming and you need time to recover and yada yada. So I get that. From a fan perspective, I prefer the deuce ad. Yeah, I'm I'm with you there from a fan perspective. The other thing that... uh, well, okay, I'm sorry, I'm giving Max a look. Just imagine that 1-0 game or whatever, fifth set of the Australian Open where Chilich had the chance to break Fed, and it comes down to a deuce point. Just the the added level of anticipation from the crowd who you know will be making noise, from us as fans who will be so excited. 
you know, in terms of scoring, I would still make sure you're going to a 12 game total in the basic matches and then, you know, 18 games in the others or just, th- you know, maybe make it three out of five sets. No add up to four. Just, you know, so every set's something new and there's so many flips of. Oh, my momentum. God, you're tweaking everything. <laughs> yeah, you... I have some ideas. <laughs> OK, but so let me throw this point out then. If we are trying to grow the fan base of the sport, does it serve that mission to have so many different ways of scoring the game? So you go to a junior tennis tournament and they're using one scoring system. You go to a college match, they're using a different scoring system. You go to world team tennis, they're using something different again. You go to, you know, a grand slam is different from a 250. How does that serve growing our fan base when the fans can't even figure out how to keep the freaking score? Totally fair, and you're right. I was wrong. Keep it up to six and tiebreaker at six all seven six. Just make it uniform. I guess my idea was if you're going to change it like they did the next gen tour finals, make that uniform as well. Absolutely. The scoring has to be consistent. In terms of growing the fan base, you know, I'm a sports fan, and it's the last-second game-winning shots, the crazy buzzer beaters, the no-ad point that decides it all. I think that's enticing to all types of fans just because there's something about sudden death, so much impact on one point that is a draw to people who enjoy watching, you know, the, the thrill of sports. And, and I have to say, for what Alex is saying, I, I do agree. I think the major flaw in all of this is be, the lack of uniformity between the different levels of tennis. I think if we could get college and pros to be on the same, you know, rules, then it would be different. You know, if, if they're all playing let's and if they're all doing no ad, then it's different. And I, I think my major issue with all of this is that you're going from college where you're playing no ad and you're playing let's, and then all of a sudden you have to adjust to playing the ads, playing longer matches, and not playing let's. And I, and I think that's a right. huge issue. And if I could throw in one, sorry, if I could throw in one more point, in terms of when college made the jump to no ad, you know they did the tiebreaker at five all thing, and that was funky. But you talk about upsets. If I remember correctly, Ohio State beat Virginia that year in the national indoors. You know, ended up winning their first national title. In terms of the college results, they I think they played the NCAA's the regular format that year. But we've seen upsets. You know, we saw Cal make a semifinal two years ago. Teams that can just get hot and win the deuce points on certain days. And we talk about Grand Slam. Uh, you know, monogamy, I guess that's the word I'll go with, in terms of Federer's winning everything. Uh, we want that to change. And yes. I, no ad is conducive to upsets. And there's something, again, appealing about that as well. Yeah, I mean, I hear you, and, and that makes sense to me. But, I, yeah, it's going to take more than that to convert me. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's, like I said, we have, we'll have to do another one, and we'll continue the debate. For sure. The, uh, the one other rule change that has probably been the most uh, interesting to me is this idea of allowing coaching. Um, You know, obviously players on the tour have gotten in trouble for making signals to their boxes. And, um, you know, Alex is going to be a huge proponent of this, but I don't know. I, I think there's something so special about the sport and that it is an individual sport. And, and, you know, in other sports, yes, there is always coaching, but I kind of love the idea of being out there. It is all your game. It, it is really what makes 
tennis special in that it is you and your mind and you got to coach yourself through it. And I, and I think that allowing players to be coached early on and again, and this is part of the uniformity aspect, if it changes in the pros, I'd probably be okay with it. But allowing this earlier on makes you less mentally tougher when you do get to the pros. Let me just say, we've got it bass-ackwards. Why would we allow coaching in the pros and not at the entry level of juniors? Yeah. Where the kids really need, you know, I mean, listen, I've I've watched too many kids at age 9, 10, 12, 14 implode on the court. Absolutely. Who could have used a level-headed adult to help them to refocus to let go of a bad point or a bad call and, you know, just keep on the the path to victory, hopefully. Yet, we expect these little kids at the beginning of their development until they get to college to do it on their own. And then all of a sudden in college, oh, guess what? You get to have a coach. Well, a lot of the kids, once they get to college, they don't know how to deal with having a coach on the court. It's actually an annoyance yeah. to have a coach come and interrupt your flow. And then to to have it go back at the pro, I, I don't know. I just, I think that's so backwards. I completely agree with you. Finally, we found a copy. Uh, the copy. Yeah, <laughs> we finally have a topic. We've... How long did it take us? Yeah, it's yeah. only 50 minutes. Yeah, but it's perfect. I mean, you... Bass Ackwards is going to be a new Great Shot podcast saying because you're abs- you're absolutely I left right. My mark. Yeah, I, left my mark. I mean, for them, look, ninety nine percent of sports have coaching. Fine, when you're doing the fly skiing in the Winter Olympics, a coach isn't flying next to you. But you know, basketball, hockey, football, in all of these big sports, you have coaches coming out there who will offer you an adjustment, who will make sure you know mentally you're in the right place and you're in your you know your best mental state to succeed. First of all, juniors are like you said. Juniors need it the most. They're the youngest. They're you know the most likely to uh, lose focus at some point or have some and sort of. They're inexperienced. It, I mean, just period. The end. They're inexperienced. Yep. Yeah, and so yeah, I agree with you. I will say I've loved seeing coaches come on the WTA uh, and just be. I don't know who the. I don't. Someone tweeted it out. I want to say Ben Rothenberg. I'm just trying to name drop, similar to Colette Lewis, and you know Ben's a Michigan guy, so go blue. Uh, but I think he posted a video of a coaching uh, some someone was down six two four one and the coach came out and just said you know hey relax it's beautiful outside you're right there might as well play two more hours of tennis you know what is there to lose and just she started laughing and she was much calmer and there's there's nothing wrong with you know allowing a little bit of help on the court giving them one coaching timeout maybe per match or one every two sets in the grand slams. I'm, I agree with you. I, every sports has coaches. Why not let them be a part of the game? I, so the I, argument is, though, that it then causes a wider gap between the haves and have-nots, right? Because you ha- if, if we start allowing coaching, only those who can afford to have a coach with their player will have a coach with their player. Yeah. And so that's a big issue. I will tell you, I run a tournament in the summer in memory of my friend Saul Schwartz and um, anybody who's listened to any of my podcasts or been on ParentingAces.com has probably seen at least something about Saul because I write about him all the time. (laughs) But um, one of the things we decided when we started this tournament in his memory was that we were going to allow coaching at the side changes. And 
we we've done the tournament for two years now. We've done it twice in Baltimore and once in Atlanta, and we'll have one in Atlanta and one in Baltimore for 2018. And having that coaching available has made the whole atmosphere of the tournament completely different than any other junior tournament I've been to. It's just. It's very chill. The kids don't lose their, you know what, they they stay calm on the court and, you know, they know that they've got an adult there to to give them some help if they need it. And I don't know, it just, it feels like a much better environment for our kids to develop in. Not every tournament. I don't, and I don't think it, you know, like Kalamazoo, I don't think coaching should be allowed. I mean, if we're talking our highest level events, I don't think it should be allowed. But but certainly at the lower level junior events. So I'm glad we can get back to disagreeing. Uh, okay. <laughs> I, I think even if it's not a coach, and you make a fair point about the quality of coaching you'll receive, but if I was playing a match and, you know, for me, even if it's my older brother comes to the match or if it's Max Rothman decides to come watch me play and he's there at the changeover to talk me through it, I know I have someone who's in my corner who I trust their understanding of the game and you think about the, you know, at a challenger event, let's say it's Tommy Paul and Dennis Kudla doesn't play that day. Have Dennis come sit in the coaching box. Dennis may have played your opponent let alone the fact that you know he's 26 and has made a fourth round at Wimbledon he's seen things so I think finding a coaching solution is plausible for a lot of these scenarios and that's why I'm in favor of it I think everyone can find something let me just say you are way too logical this is not how it works that's they're going to require and you're going to have to be registered and you're going to have to have a certain credential that you wear i mean because that's what our sport does and it just gets so frustrating yeah totally because what you said is the obvious solution yeah yeah, yeah. i hate to say it. yeah i mean i'm sure i'm not the first we can blame uh dave miley it's his fault Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, but okay, you know, we want to be conscious of your time. And we, again, want to thank you for taking this opportunity to do this with us. But we want to end with a topic that's very familiar on the Great Shot podcast. That's talking about these next gen Americans. I'm sure you've been following along with Delray Beach. You have Tiafo take out Delpo last night, Fritz beating Query, Opelka beating Sock. Chung uh, yeah. just took out Donaldson. Chung's still alive. I think Stevie Johnson won. He's not next gen, but he's still American. Opelka may have just lost. I'm not positive, unfortunately. Yeah. So our question to you, Lisa, is who are your f- top three favorite next gen Americans? Oh, based on what? Can I just base it on anything? Anything, yeah. The appeal of their gear, if they've come on your podcast, anything. It doesn't matter. Okay. Well, so I Noah Rubin has a special place in my heart. I know he just turned 22, so he's probably not considered next-gen anymore, but he's still a 96, so I consider him next-gen. And um, he has responded every time I have asked him to help me out with something. He has... um, FaceTimed at my Saul Schwartz tournaments with the players and just been phenomenal. And um, I'm going to take a break one second. Sorry, my husband's calling and I need to send this to voicemail. And I'm going to do that right now. You're, Sorry. No, yeah, no, you're fine. Yeah, don't worry about it. to drive, talk, and deal with an incoming call. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say, be safe. Yeah, be careful. 
Yeah, now I'm good. Um, cruise control. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, Alabama. Yeah, exactly. I think I'm still in Alabama. I might be in Georgia now. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, Noah has always answered the call when I've asked a favor of him. He has sent autographed items for my Saw Sports tournament. He has FaceTimed with the players during the tournament. Um, he's just He's just always been very willing to give back to the sport and I love that about him he also is a fighter and you know I love his game he's feisty out there and you know he's a little cocky when he's (laughs) on the court and and I just I I love him and the fact that I'm very close with his mom doesn't hurt but but he does have a special place in my heart because of all that um, in terms of like who's gonna break through out of this group, I mean, if you had asked me two years ago, I would have said Taylor Fritz was the guy. Oh. Um, you should see Taylor Max's had face. An off year, and then now he seems to kind of be back on track. So I, I'm hoping that he brings some good stuff to the table. Um, Jared Donaldson's another one that I just, you know, I feel like he's he's got the goods. But right now, I I feel like Tiafo's the one that's poised to really have a good year. Yeah, and uh, you know we we've obviously talked to some of these guys. Cracked Rackets has done interviews with obviously. Donaldson and, <laughs> and Fritz and. Um, can I give a can I give a shameful shameless shameful shameless <laughs> plug absolutely to, to those interviews because I adore those interviews and oh. I want to make sure that the parenting aces community knows about those. You guys, if you haven't checked out Crack Rack, it's they're it's called the Cracked Interviews. Right? Cracked That's Interviews podcast. podcast. Yep. Yeah, and um, these guys have interviewed all of these up and coming players, including some juniors and college players, and they're yep. they'll do a fantastic job with that. So kudos. Thank you very much. I know somewhere Dalton will hear this and he will start smiling. Yes. So yeah, we really appreciate yeah, you yeah, saying yeah. that. Uh, you should I've already I've already patted him on the back. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, absolutely. Well, I, I so have. To... I, I, I wrecked your flow. Sorry. No, no, not at all. Don't You're worry so about funny. it. Yeah, please. Yeah, I love this. Uh, in terms of the next gen guys, Max agrees with you. He loves Taylor Fritz. That's his guy. He claimed to have aced him in the juniors, but that turned out to be false. So, uh, yeah, kind big, of funny. Big bummer there. <laughs> yeah. And. Uh, you know, for me, I have a soft. We, I have to say, no, Ruben. Again, one of the kindest kids. Such a kind interview. Was so thoughtful in his responses. So I agree. I got that same vibe. I have a soft spot in my heart for the game of Stefan Kozlov. I just love it. I just think the touch. The he's awesome. He is awesome. I will agree with you. And... He's just kind of been kind of uh, incognito lately. I don't know. I... Yeah. I've missed seeing him. Yeah, I he's just I I I like to think I sort of play like him, sort of. <laughs> just some funky he stuff. Wishes. <laughs> oh he's my also God. feisty. He is fun to watch. Absolutely. And he's one of the people who have eluded us for cracked interviews, so trying to get him uh, out. It's shameless. Well, keep trying. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, He'll but, be a good one. Yeah, but Lisa, again, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Uh 
you know, as two lifelong fans of parenting aces of zoo tennis, people like you and Colette Lewis have had such a big influence on young fans like me and Max. So, you know, to have this opportunity to talk to you, we could not have been more enthusiastic about it. And you've been everything and more we could have hoped for. So thank you so much. Y'all are very kind. It's been very fun. And um, like I said, I've been driving back from Alabama at the Blue Great Tennis Classic, and it, you have made the time fly by. So thank oh, you well, for thank that. You. Then I have to ask one last question. I, you know, we talked about it before, but how was your experience? College tennis still the best tennis to watch? I mean, it's just so fun. It is. I, just, I love the energy and the vibe. And, you know, it's, I was sitting in the stands with some other people around my same age that were actually housing players and so you know they don't know these kids they don't necessarily even know the teams but they're out there cheering for those kids because they're now staying at their house and there was a little boy out there who his family was housing one of the players and so now he's a new tennis fan because of that, you <laughs> there know? you go i mean it's it's awesome to see so i love it absolutely well, look, we're, I'll definitely have to reach out to you once I'm back in Los Angeles. Uh, maybe we'll, we'll have a chance to meet up. But if there, we weren't sure if there was anything else that you wanted to, to plug about your blog or anything else in general that you wanted to say now. Well, I don't know when you guys are airing this. Um, I, so but... we're, I think we're, we're trying to air it next week. Oh, awesome. So I just want to put out there that I'm going to be at Indian Wells. Um, March 8th through the 12th. So if any of your listeners, any of my listeners are going to be there during that time period, please come find me. I'll be the lady in the parenting aces cap. So, um, perfect. Come say hi. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, well, thank you again so much and drive safely on the way back to Georgia. You know, we, we, anytime you want to come on the podcast, please just send a text. You got it. (laughs) All right. So for one last time, for myself, Alex Gruskin, for my wonderful co-host, Max Rothman, for the lovely parenting ace, Lisa Stone, and of course, for our super producer, Max Fliegner, who has a heck of a job to do as always, we say to you, hey, great shot. (laughs) And we'll see you next week. Thank you again. Perfect. perfect. I love it. (laughs) Thank you. Great shot production. Great shot.